0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thank you for listening to this episode of Kicking the Cariarchy. If you like this episode or any of our episodes, why not give us a rating on iTunes? Tell us what you think. Ahem, five stars. Last month, we talked mental health with Carl, Chama and Nicole, and you loved it. Thank you so much for telling us what you think. It warms our cold feminist hearts. If we had
1: hearts.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: that
0: was kind of creepy. Anyway, seriously, mental health, it's a big topic and we plan on revisiting it to explore it further. We can't thank our guests enough for taking the time to talk to us about something so personal and still so taboo. Which is what this podcast is all about. This month, we've teamed up with National Student Prize podcast as their event focused on sex and relationships education, at the event, Ollie Alexander spoke with Stella Creasy about the importance of this topic. We also really like the episode The Life of a Trans Activist, where non binary activists Fox and Al talk about their relationship and activism burnout. Make sure you go and check out their episodes. On to this episode, we are talking about relationships, and we've decided to specifically focus on domestic abuse and violence. Before we go any further, there are content warnings attached to this episode. There are discussions about physical, sexual and psychological abuse, as well as addiction and self-harm. Whilst we'd like you to join us at exploring a topic that's not talked about enough, you're also invited to stop listening or to take a break whenever you choose. So, domestic violence. Two women are killed every week in England and Wales by a current or former partner. Almost a fifth of refuges have closed since 2010 and two out of three women that approach a refuge for help are turned away. So do you stay or do you go? And by asking that, are we victim blaming? Shouldn't we be teaching perpetrators not to emotionally, financially, sexually or physically abuse? Shouldn't we be teaching everyone? Let's find out.
1: My name is chakra and I identify as a queer femme. I'm mixed but white passing and my preferred pronouns are she and her.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the podcast this month. Can you
1: maybe tell us a little bit about your experience with domestic violence? I think my first experience was with my grandmother because she was in an emotionally abusive relationship and I witnessed that when I was a really yeah young child. But not knowing really what it was, it just made me feel really uncomfortable. And then... I I started off picking partners that showed the same pattern, I guess. So my first relationship was in a way emotionally abusive or at least very unhealthy. And then my latest relationship, which was also my longest, that's where it kind of escalated from emotional to physical and sexual abuse. I didn't call it abuse until recently, even the physical part. I think one underestimates how strong you try to explain things away or, you know, you see it in the media and you think, oh, abuse is when somebody gets killed or something like that. So you, you try to brush it away.
0: What do you look back on now and realise was emotional abuse with your grandmother?
1: So she had a new husband and he was just very controlling. He wouldn't let her visit us when we moved to Berlin. It sounds like very small things, but there was this constant tension and you always, even us as children, had to watch what we say there. There was no physical violence, but there was just this negativity and you would get shut down immediately and there were all these little rules that you had to follow or otherwise the whole atmosphere would change and I just remember seeing my grandmother always biting her lip which is probably very symbolic of not speaking up and then actually when she was when she was dying on cancer that was the last six months where she really I would say gained confidence and try to voice her opinion and kind of free herself from that. And I know it doesn't sound like abuse, but if somebody is always unhappy and they never find happiness in your happiness, it gets in a way abusive. Do you think your grandmother realized she was in an emotionally abusive relationship? I think she realized that she was in an emotionally abusive relationship. I'm not sure if that would be the words that she used, but I think it was very apparent to everybody in the family and to herself that it was a very controlling relationship and she was not able to do what she wanted to do.
0: So you said that you started, because of that early experience, that you started finding relationships where those qualities or those things were quite similar. How
1: were those manifested in the relationships that you were in? I would say that is my interpretation, of course, of things. So I don't know if it's directly related. I also was raped when I was 16, which was my first sexual experience. So I I think that had something to do with it as well. And then... You don't go out and think, oh, let me look for somebody that treats me poorly, right? I think it's just that you're attracted to certain things that are familiar. And especially my first relationship, I was so insecure that I thought this person, which was a boy, he really likes me. And it was the first time where I acknowledged that somebody would potentially have an interest in me. And I felt like almost obligated to follow suit and end up in a relationship. So your last relationship, was that with a woman? Yes, it was with a woman.
0: So is there any sort of stigmas or taboos around domestic violence and queer relationships?
1: I would say there're definitely stigmas surrounding it. I was definitely much more protective over that relationship because it was with a woman and my girlfriend was black and masculine presenting and I'm white passing and very feminine presenting, so I was it sounds so weird, but for me it was just I kind of wanted to protect her from authorities and I also think that if you have two women in a relationship you're told it's not that bad you're raised with if a guy lays his hand on you then it's super problematic and everybody knows that but with two women there is more room I would say to explain things away or there's more baggage you come with in a way because you might have had negative experience coming out How did the abuse manifest? Was it more like manipulative? Abuse is such an individual thing and I can just talk about about my own experience, right? So for me personally, it was never okay. There was from the very beginning when we started dating, there were always issues. But I think I always found something where I hoped it would make it better. And also, I think I I got involved because I was in a very vulnerable position. So my mental health wasn't the best. I had depression and and generalized anxiety. And I ended up with this person that I I really cared for. And then I thought, oh, if if I just move back to London, everything will be better. If I just move in with her, everything will be better. I knew it was really dramatic and stuff, but it didn't really occur to me how abusive it was till the very end, I would say. It is a downward spiral because even if you think at the beginning, oh, it's just a bit dramatic and overly jealous. In my case, it it went just downhill and it got more. And then when you move in, you get financially more dependent. I was a student at that time. You're more under the person's control. Then things started like, if I wouldn't come home a certain time, she would take away my keys. When you're in it and when you're together with somebody for a long time, You know it's wrong, but you're just like, well, it's her house or it's her contract. or Maybe she's having a bad month. It sounds so ridiculous because I would say I'm a very strong woman, but you just get sucked into it. At what point did you stop explaining things away? I think there were a couple of points where I knew things were getting really bad. My mental health was the worst it ever has been. And I was in therapy and even my therapist was like, you should the relationship Mm. and I think that's quite a strong statement for a therapist to say but I think the moment where I really realized things have to change was when it got violently physical yeah the first time she punched me in the head I was like Mm. maybe I should leave but it still took me nine months can I ask how bad it got before you you left them for good I think it's hard to answer because I don't want to say I was lucky, but I think it was not her intention to seriously harm me. But I think for me, having a bruise on my face was serious enough because I. Oh, it sounds so ridiculous, but I really want to have a family and children, and I just thought like, wow, I can't, <laughs> I can't be in a relationship with somebody that beats me when I have kids. Which sounds so ridiculous, but it helped me to kind of get out of it. Can I ask why you got back together? Because the punch happened the first
0: time and then you got back together.
1: People don't understand that you're actually in love with somebody or you think you're in love with somebody. So it's not as straightforward. And I know if any of my friends would have said anything like that to me, that they were experiencing that in their relationship, I would have been like, why are you staying or why are you going back? But you really care for that person and... I do think, in a way, she really cared for me. But that that doesn't mean you have to stay in it. And I think that was one of the most important lessons for me, to learn that you can love somebody, but you have to learn to love yourself more. Did you tell anyone about it? Still, some people don't know how bad it was. I think everybody knew that it was not a healthy relationship, but I kind of didn't want to explain to what extent, A, because it was with a woman, and B, because I moved to London for her. But I did tell some friends because... I would normally run away if that would happen. So I would pack my suitcase and leave for a couple of days and crash at a friend's place. Or I mean if it would be just for a night I wear nights where I would just stay at Trafalgar Square and wait till it's morning. Did you find that it was helpful if people knew? Did they believe you? I think it's so tricky because, yeah, the people that knew, they saw it. They believed me. But I think you can't do a lot as an external person because you don't want to be enabling the situation. And I had a lot of people step back from me and be like, well, if you're always going back to that relationship, we can't hang out with you anymore. Not that I was able to hang out with them much anyways.
0: So allies really or good friends, they should keep getting in touch anyway. Is that
1: what good friends should do? It helped a little bit that people were like, that's what you choose. But I knew that I could come back. And I think that's important that you feel like you can talk about it and that you don't feel judged. But I also understand I couldn't be able to do that. I couldn't be there for somebody that stays in a relationship for years and always comes back. I think there has to be a point as a friend where you're like, I'm here for you if you need me, but I can't be involved in that all the time. I think it's important to try to build the person's confidence. But then people are different. That was for me once I got into my master's program, my own apartment and and stuff like that. Then that all enabled me to leave and distance myself.
0: Would you go back
1: now? I wouldn't go back now, but it's a very difficult thing. Because I think once something is so intense, even in a bad way, you do have a special connection to that person. Because you've been through stuff, even though it's so negative, it creates a a really destructive bond.
0: So do you have any insight as to why domestic violence occurs
1: disproportionately in the LGBTQ community? I do think there is so little support and so little support networks. You don't have healthy relationship role models. Most of the time you can't go to your parents. Even though my parents are very supportive, they don't have the understanding how it is to be together with a woman, especially with somebody that comes from a completely different background and maybe has not such a supportive network. And with my relationship in in particular, there was so much negativity also from the outside, if we would go out together, that I saw why she was hurting in that way it is a lot especially if you're an interracial lesbian couple you still get so much shit. what kind of um shit were you getting I think especially because there was also this gendered hyper feminine hyper masculine aspect to it we definitely got a lot of attention from guys and they were mostly aggressive towards her or would try to wind her up whereas for me catcalling is not you know I don't really pay attention to that you just brush it off but for her it was such a ego thing and there was like a racial component to it and you could feel it and also if we would go to clubs together the way we were treated was so different those are all minor points and I'm not trying to explain away or, or make it okay that she did what she did but I think because I saw that it made it hard for me to draw the line and be like well that's your pain and you have to deal with that differently. Did you feel guilty for that because you are white passing? And maybe I felt guilty. Maybe I felt I didn't really know where to position myself. Yeah, maybe I, I felt a complicit element, even though I didn't want it. And that was something that she would always say, that I would create this environment, the way I would dress myself or the way I would do my makeup, which I don't think I did, but I see why she felt that way. When you're in relationship now, do you have any warning signs that you look for? To be absolutely honest, I find it incredibly hard. I haven't been in a relationship since and I find it very hard to date people before I allow myself to be in a relationship again. I need to be sure that somebody that is different in that way.
0: I think that's fair to say. I think it's a symbol of loving yourself more if you... I don't know if if test is the right word, but if you see how it goes and you have things that you look for in order to walk away again, I don't think that sounds bad or or manipulative or anything like that. I think that's you looking out for yourself
1: yeah I think I'm at the moment so it's two years after and I think I'm at a stage where I sometimes doubt what I'm actually doing because I cut it off quite quickly so if it's still me healing and not being really available or if it's just that the next time I would want a healthy and stable relationship and I'm not willing to be casual at the moment but yeah I think warning signs overly jealous very allergic if somebody is controlling and what I don't like at all is if somebody gets physical in any way even if it's just like grabbing you or or something I get completely I'm like or tries to push something if someone gets too physical for me i almost feel bad i'm
0: like oh something's wrong with me therefore i need to kind of just get over it but the fact that you're like no i'm taking the time to make sure that i'm okay with this i think is really important and really encouraging i think to
1: listen to I think it's something that we are raised with by society, right? If somebody touches you or, you know, grabs you or something, oh, it's just a joke, don't get all, like, funny about it. And it happens in gay spaces as well. There's a lot of misogyny and unsolicited grabbing in lesbian or queer women's spaces. And it's always the same narrative behind it. It's just a joke or... But, yeah, I think it's important to know your boundaries and to be like, actually, don't grab my ass.
0: So what would you say to someone who's in a similar situation...
1: I think it's so hard to have an advice, really, because I know that whatever you say in that situation, that everybody feels like they need to do what they need to do, and I think you're ready to leave a relationship like that when you're ready. But I think, as I said before, the most important lesson for me was that I realized I can love somebody, but I have to love myself more, or at least first and just because you love somebody doesn't give them the right to treat you a certain way and it doesn't compromise your love for them if you say I can't be with you and for me that was a really important thing to realize because I always thought if I leave her that means I didn't love her.
0: How can people be an ally to people in relationships where there is some kind of domestic
1: abuse? I think try not to judge them. It's really hard. And with that, I don't mean tell them it's good what they are in. But if you haven't been in a relationship like that, you will never understand how it is. And you will never understand what emotions and what dynamics go through it. So I think it's very easy to kind of disparage somebody that is in an abusive relationship, whether that's emotionally or or physically. But it's much more complex. And I think as an ally, to be aware of that, to be there once once they leave the person you know in a way love can be kind of an addiction where you need to make that jump and sometimes it's okay to have boundaries from your friends but then to know if you make that jump that they are there you talked about there were
0: two things one is that you only started to define the relationships as domestic abuse recently and also that you have your own definition for it essentially because it's a very personal why did you start to define it recently and what is your definition for you?
1: I think everything took me time. So um, when I when I got raped for a very long time, I didn't call it rape. Um, and that's also a very recent um, thing to do. I think there's this fear um, if you don't, or, or this thought, if you don't label it, um, it's not true or it's not as bad or it's not, you know, it doesn't fall into this category with all this stigma attached to it. Because domestic abuse there's a whole lot of stigma attached to it. And I do I was a bit hesitant to come here because I I feel like you brand yourself for the, you know, whole world. Like, oh, I'm the fool that, you know, stayed in a relationship where somebody treated me like shit. Um and also that it implies therefore the next person, you know, can treat me like like shit. Um so I think um that's definitely st- kind of a burden to acknowledge what it is and then also for me it was I didn't want that people I didn't want to throw her under the bus so um, I always hoped that we would stay friends which sounds really stupid (laughs) but I think um, yeah I always hoped that she would come around and apologise and not for us to go back together but somehow make it okay Um, and I, i didn't feel angry for a long time, and I think now um, maybe it's part of a healing process. Not that I'm angry, angry at her, but I'm like I can't, you know, I I just don't care if we ever be friends or not, and I, you know, I don't I don't want her in my life as such, especially um, um, if she's still the way she, she she is. So I don't know that. But yeah, that's, so I, I guess it's just part of healing that you come to a come to a point where you say, "Oh, actually, um, everybody else's <laughs> it's, it's domestic abuse because X, Y, and Z happened." So you know, maybe it's time that to to claim it and to find empowerment in in the label and my definition of yeah, <laughs> if, you, if you want. I find it quite hard to define domestic abuse because it's such an individual thing. But I think if somebody makes you feel worthless in whatever capacity, if somebody tries to control you, I think that's abusive. I was just thinking quickly. So you mentioned how one time you had a bruise or something. Mm-hmm. You like were like visibly hurt. What were people's reactions to that? It was on my temple. So yeah, when we were on holiday, I actually just wore like a big hat the whole time. But yeah, I think her friends knew. Um, really? I think so. I, I mean, at least they saw how she treated me on that holiday. And even though it was not super physical, it was a really horrible time. And because I see them around a lot, that's something that I don't understand. Because I know in my group of friends, if I would treat somebody, not even physically, but verbally like that, my friends, they would put me aside I mean, me, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? So, do you wish that they had maybe said something? Maybe it's unfair of me to think that maybe that's still kind of like a naive hope. Oh, if they would have intervened, it would have gone better. Blah blah. blah. I think it's just something that I wonder sometimes because that is so alien to me. Because I could never go away with it. My family would <laughs> intervene. People would just call me out on it. And to surround yourself with people that see that and they don't see, they, yeah. they witness enough to, to interfere. She was probably explaining it away to her friends also. Yeah, and it's not as clear cut. Like, I wasn't a victim. I wasn't just sitting there and be like, oh, okay. I would say I'm fairly feisty. So I would do whatever was in my power to, to fight back. For me, that was a lot verbally. So I said a lot of horrible, horrible things and yeah, I would drink too much in that period. I was a beast as well so I don't want to say it was all her and I was this innocent victim. So what are you working on? I do have an own little blog and blog thing called The Defiant Femme where I talk about different things, mostly queer culture and politics but I also started a new series, Defiant Femmes, where I basically showcase each week a a femme and just give room to celebrate Style, that's what I do. <laughs> What's your definition of femme? Who fits under that bracket? I think. Femme is very open and I think that's what I want to show with this project, that it is it is a label but it's so fluid that a lot of people fit under the label and you can change and explore your, your femininity. I think for me, Femme is somebody that wants to play with their femininity and it's not linked to gender or, or anything else. I think for me personally, there's an LGBT and queer element to it, so I'm a bit critical to the whole straight women reclaiming femme kind of label thing, but I don't own the label, so I'm yeah. open for any discussion around that.
0: But you do own <laughs> Defiant Femmes. <laughs> yeah. Can you quickly just
1: explain where the
0: motivation came from or like why you think it's important for femmes to take up space?
1: I think in queer culture, femmes are underrepresented and the style is not as appreciated. So for example, if you go on Instagram, you find a lot of outlets that celebrate queer masculine presenting styles, which I think is great and necessary, but there's very little for femmes. But I think it's important that we empower each other and that we value each other's style and politics behind it. That was Chaka
0: talking about domestic violence in a queer relationship. We found it really powerful that much of the abuse is hidden and explained away by both parties, and how Chaka was eventually able to walk away when she realised she loved herself more. Next, it's Lucy.
3: Hello, my name's Lucy. I'm a cisgendered, non-disabled, white, heterosexual. Thank <laughs> you so much, Lucy, for coming
0: on the podcast this month, Sid, and I really appreciate it.
1: Yes, we do. Do
0: you really want to give us a quick definition of what? domestic violence or an abusive relationship is to you?
3: I think um, domestic violence is the abuse that someone is subjected to from either a partner or um, a family member or, or even it could be a friend that someone's dependent on they're living with. Or And the abuse could range from, it doesn't always have to be physical, so it could be mental, it could be psychological, um, emotional and sexual, of course, and um, also financial as well. Do you want to tell us what your experience has been with domestic violence? Um, I've got two very different uh, experiences, I guess, because when I was younger, I thought about it and I viewed it in a very different way to what I view now, um, because I didn't understand really what it was. And I also have supported family members through domestic violence as well. So what's that been like supporting other people who have been experiencing abusive relationships? Well, it is very difficult to support someone through an abusive relationship. It's obviously very, very hard for the person that's dealing with the abuse. Sometimes, as a supporter, you can get lost in what you want for that person. I mean, I personally have never dealt with emotional abuse or domestic violence myself. I've witnessed it. I don't fully understand what it's like to go through that and i don't think anyone would so i think it's very important to try and understand and try and educate yourself about how the person is feeling and what they're doing and why they're reacting in the way they are and why they're staying there's a lot of criticism to domestic violence uh, survivors people still remain in the relationship and i think people are so quick to criticize them and say well why aren't they leaving i guess People find it easy to victim blame because then they don't have to think about the issues. They can just say, okay, well, it's their fault because they're not leaving. It's difficult because you want that person to be happy and you can see that that's not going to happen through their choices and what's happening to them. But at the same time, you either have to be emotionally involved or you have to cut yourself off. And you don't want to cut yourself off because cutting yourself off then leaves them isolated in the situation where if you're helping them through it, you, you are, especially if it's a family member or a close friend, you are, you are living it with them, you're being emotionally affected. And when that person remains in the relationship, that can be very difficult, especially if it's for a long period of time, because as someone who's supporting someone through domestic violence, it becomes your life as well. And say it goes on for years, that's your mental health being affected as well. So yeah, it, it's very difficult.
0: You said that the way that you look at domestic violence when you were younger Mm. is very different to how you see it now, looking back. What kinds of things are different?
3: So, when I was younger, I witnessed domestic violence through living with my mum and my stepdad. Just a a really small backstory. My mum was a recovering alcoholic. She went into recovery when I was five. And from then on, she was clean and she used to go to something called NA meetings, um, which is Narcotics Anonymous. It's a bit like Alcoholics Anonymous. Through the NA, she met my stepfather, who was also a recovering drug addict, and alcoholic. And there was years before his relapse that they were happy and that no domestic violence happened. And he was a great father figure for me. I absolutely loved him. He was amazing. He was like the dad I never had, really. Um, You know, he made the home feel complete And my mum was happy, which was great Things were, as they say, you know, in quotation marks, normal So you feel safe So when things started to go wrong, which was when he relapsed That's when the abuse started to happen So it was very difficult as a child to have, I guess, a different point of view towards my stepdad because I did adore him. Obviously, I loved my mum very much. Seeing the domestic violence take place, didn't want my stepdad to leave. So in my mind, I never really blamed him until later on, until I grew up. And during the violence, which happened for a few years, he would always manipulate me into thinking that it was my mum's fault or it was trivial, that's normal. You know, when mummy gets mad at me, you know, I sometimes get really mad and it was as if he was normalising it. So in my head, whenever I'd hear them argue when I was up in my room, even if I would hear the violence, I would always think, "Oh, Mum, stop it! And it was and it's horrible because mum would then not have the support from me at all um, and I just, yeah, I loved him and I didn't want him to leave and when they finally broke up I was really upset and mum was saying to me he, you know, he abused me hit me Lucy. it's not right and I knew it wasn't right but at the same time in my head, I just didn't want that family unit to break up. And he was very good at manipulating the situation into getting me on side as well. So after big arguments, he would buy me presents and you know come up to my room and talk to me and definitely would make me favor, not favor him over my mum, but not think that he was the bad man. It always used to happen when I was up in my room, so it would happen late at night. I would rarely see it and there was, there was a couple of times where I did, most notably one time where we were at his house and they had a massive argument and mum took me and we went out into the car and then he ran out and come up to the car, opened the car door and then dragged my mum out by her hair and then took her into the house and I was just left in the car, I was about ten and I got out of the car and ran in and I was just like screaming at him going, don't hit my mum, don't hit my mum. Then um, even
2: Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
3: And then, even then, whilst he had hold of my mum, he was saying, she's making me angry, she's making me angry. So this is the way he would operate. Yeah, it was really tough and when they broke up, I still wanted him in my life so I'd still phone him. It wasn't until I grew up and learned about abuse, become friends with my mum in that way I I didn't look at it that he was the perpetrator really um so yeah now I know what happened and I feel a lot of guilt um towards my mum and I I know at the same time that that's a very normal response for a child especially a child that's being manipulated
0: absolutely and I think it's worth pointing out that you were a child yeah you're witnessing something I mean I don't want to like speak for you now yeah so like tell me if I am but you know I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to when you're witnessing something that's negative but it's by two people that you love.
3: Yeah, you can see it a lot in victim blaming and in like, we, we blame the person being abused and we don't look to the person who is abusing that person and we think, well, how can they change it? And that's definitely something that I felt when I was little. Even when my mum and my stepdad broke up, my mum went into severe depression and then relapsed herself by smoking cannabis, which then took over her life for four years. She went through a really, really tough time after they broke up because there was a lot of other issues that had happened. She went through a, a huge struggle, and this was my teenage times now. So, this is me being at secondary school. And all I would think is, well, why don't you just get back together then?
0: How has this affected how you support your family member now?
3: I think it's affected it in a way that I am actually more understanding. So, going through it myself, and also. Because I know that that's what they've witnessed as well when they've grown up. And some children are very resilient and some children aren't. And some children uh, copy behaviour and some children do the exact opposite.
0: Do you think that there are some characteristics or that there can be things that can make people more vulnerable to domestic violence? Because obviously domestic violence isn't something that you attract. But in terms of, you know, it sounds like your mum was potentially quite a vulnerable person at some points.
3: I think... That's a really hard question to answer because you don't have to be a type of person to be a victim of domestic abuse. With the manipulation side of it, it can actually happen to anyone, whether you're really strong minded or, you know, you're in this relationship where you're trapped and you're being controlled by someone. I've seen that happen before with one of my friends who used to be an extremely strong, outspoken person. It can change someone, but I think there's definite patterns where if you've got extreme low self-esteem from your childhood, then I definitely think that you are an easy target. Was there any um,
0: what they call gaslighting going on where, I mean, you probably got a better definition for what gaslighting means, Sid. Gaslighting is where you make the victim feel like it's their fault and you convince them that they're mad, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently it's based on a novel about a man who turned down all of the lights in the house and convinced her that she just thought it was getting darker. That's where the term comes from
3: I actually feel very strongly about gaslighting There's a lot of relationships that are abusive But it's not physical So the victims don't necessarily think that they're even being abused It's not talked about enough And there's a lot of people out there that are suffering And being made to think that they are mentally unstable When they're not so my experience when I was younger, I didn't uh, notice any forms of gaslighting. I guess what I was saying before about my stepfather saying, oh, this is what happens, so when mummy gets mad, it's, I guess that's a form of gaslighting in a way. So the person who I've supported through domestic violence there was definitely gaslighting in that relationship she was made to think that what was going on wasn't actually happening and also telling other people um that what she's saying isn't true that you know she's like a psycho you know the horrible thing about gaslighting is men and women often call a woman crazy and I see it all the time, not just in men, I see it in women as well. For example, if they're talking about, um, oh, I'm seeing, I'm seeing someone new, but his ex-girlfriend's crazy. You know, it's so common and it's really horrific because you automatically believe it. There is a part of you that thinks, oh, well, is she?
0: So it's a way of discrediting them,
3: isn't it? So- yeah, definitely. It's a way of not being accountable for your behavior you know, not having to deal with that other person's feelings, not having to have everyone else think that you are the person that's causing the issue because they're being irrational and they're being overly sensitive. It does go on a lot. And and it's also, you know, the reason why a lot of people just stand by in relationships and don't leave their, the person who's abusing them because they think that it is their fault. And I also think that it's a way of Gaining control as well. So, if you are being emotionally manipulated and they're saying you are, you know, mentally unstable, you think, okay, well, I can change myself, and that's going to change this situation.
0: How did you realise that this is what was happening with your family member? I like, can imagine talking about, oh, this is what I think of it, and only ever hearing mm. one side. So, how do you realise actually the person you're you're talking to is is in a sense trapped and talking themselves into,
3: yeah staying so this person was very good at hiding what was going on for a certain amount of time and then when it got really bad she would then say and what she would say would be months and months and months worth of abuse or threats she would hide it and not want to say but then obviously things would get so bad that she would need the support once you know it's going on, you then start asking, is everything OK? Which then sometimes makes the other person become distant because if they've now decided after the, the big outburst and the the rock bottom that actually know it's fine and I'm going to stay they don't want to be questioned they don't want to bring it up again because they're fine now so they want to forget about it and that's when they start to retreat become distant they don't answer calls they become off the radar for a long time that was the cycle off the radar for a long long time and then hit rock bottom off the radar for a long long time and yeah it was difficult because I've found with the person that I've had experience with is that you can't be judgmental whatsoever. You have to explain that you're not there to judge them, you're there to listen, and you will always be there for them and just try and build their self-esteem up by saying you could definitely do this, you've got the skills. Build their self-confidence up. But also be real as know this isn't right this kind of behaviour isn't right and say how you can help them you know whether it's a list of domestic violence agencies or helplines or just show your support all the time without becoming angry or frustrated about them not listening to it or them becoming distant. How long
0: did the cycle go on for?
3: So about two years however it's not the first time it's not the first relationship that it's happened with it's a cycle of relationships that's happened for a long time, this particular one, until he actually went to prison. Is so he in prison
0: now? Yeah. For being abusive?
3: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What was that process like? It was very quick because he breached um, a restraining order. So it wasn't quick as in the abuse happened one time and then he went to prison. It, it was a long process. So
0: if he had a restraining order, that obviously means that he's been known to the police. Yes. If they knew that he was violent and abusive, why wasn't it dealt with sooner?
3: Well, this is the thing. I, I mean, I don't know why it's not dealt with sooner. This person has sent threats from phones, but because it's a withheld number, they can't do anything. It's that like That's bullshit. <laughs> you know, you, we can't prove anything, even though the content of the message is quite obvious who it is and the threat is there but because it was a withheld number they can't they can't do anything which I find hard to believe because I think if it was something else that threatened, for example, you know, in national security then they would be able to You know, I know that that's very different because this is one person but I don't know I think that the system's a bit flawed I don't think that there's enough put into it at all
0: That's a nice way of saying it <laughs> mm. So if they weren't in prison do you think that the person that you've been supporting would still be with them? I guess that's quite a difficult question to answer and feel free.
3: No, I don't think so. Because when the incident happened, which took him to prison, they weren't together. But the the dangerous threats have come after the breakup. The moment the person leaves, I don't know the statistics, but I know that it's the most dangerous time for a woman in an abusive relationship is actually when they leave and after. Yeah.
0: I didn't know that. So that must be why, arguably, it's so difficult to
3: leave an abusive yeah, relationship. Through fear. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's lots of reasons, but definitely fear. Because you're being told that if you ever leave, no one will ever love you. You won't be able to support yourself. You know, you don't have any friends. You're not going to be able to support the children. You've got the, a low self-esteem. And then on top of that, the fear factor of leaving What did it take for your mum to leave that relationship? I think it got quite bad with the violence and I think she did try and protect me quite a lot as well so she didn't tell me the extent of actually what was happening but I do remember her just having enough it was a lot down to the other things she had found out about things that he was doing I don't know whether if they were in a loving I say loving relationship but then he was violent whether that would have made her leave when she did leave it was very inspirational because she left and she never went back that's definitely made me stronger in my relationships I think
0: the person that you've been supporting more recently the family member and you mentioned the cycles but that it's not only cycles within one relationship but within a few in yeah. fact, many what's that like it must be so frustrating from your part mm. but also so hurtful from hers if every relationship you walk into you don't know what you're worth i suppose
3: yeah. no it is and i i think from their point of view they feel completely worthless they don't they don't have any self-esteem whatsoever and they pick people who you know they think that they're worth and sometimes they confuse abuse with maybe passion I don't know that they think that he's getting very jealous because he loves me he can't get that angry without feeling something I think there's a confusion with that and yeah also not not feeling like she's worth trying to have a relationship with someone who's who's not like that
0: i read something somewhere that if you have been in an abusive relationship and you start a new relationship you shouldn't tell the new person how you were manipulated before because often Mm -hmm. they will use that to hurt you if should they want to
3: yeah yeah i can see that i've never been really in a physical abusive relationship i've i'd have had experience of gaslighting So it's hard for me to understand why there's a cycle. But I can only imagine that that it is down to self-esteem and worth. And also what they've been made to feel that's normal. Mm -hmm. So then how has this affected your approach to relationships now? I, Yeah, I think I'm strong in my relationships and I am able to see red flags of behaviour very easily. But like I said, when my mum finally did break up with my stepdad, it was quite inspirational time because she was very strong. She showed me that no matter how sad you are, if they're treating you like that, you don't get back with them. Because afterwards she would always reiterate, you know, you need to be with someone who... Respects you and who values you as an equal. So I definitely think that that's been a positive for me in the people who I choose. Uh, I think that's because I'm quite resilient, and I don't think that that's the case for some other people that have been brought up in that kind of um, environment. I, I know what to look out for, so I wouldn't go with someone who showed signs of abuse.
0: Can you tell us what some of the red flags might be?
3: Sure. So. Jealousy is a big one. So, for example, my friend was out and she was talking to her new... It wasn't a boyfriend, but someone who she was seeing. Um, and she started talking to his friend and, and he just lost it and got really angry with her um, and started, you know, calling her names. And that, for me, is a huge red flag of what that relationship will be like. But for her, that was, oh, he's just jealous and you know, almost flattered. Things like like what I was talking about before, like the language people use. So minimising what you're feeling and calling you names and also saying to other people about how stable you are in your thoughts. That's a big red flag. And also when I talk to someone and they say to me that, you know, my ex-girlfriend's this and that and I think, well, is she though? And that is a red flag for me that you are willing to call someone mentally unstable Any kind of controlling behaviour in abusive relationships, it doesn't start out abusive, it starts out okay and they earn your trust and they become abusive much later in the relationship. It's a process and it goes in stages. So the things to look out for at the beginning is any type of controlling behaviour.
0: I think that was interesting as well to point out how they talk about their ex-partners. Yeah. How can we be allies to people who are going through an abusive relationship? And also allies to people like you who are supporting people in an abusive relationship.
3: I think that you could be allies by definitely talking about the manipulation side of abuse um, because not all abuse is physical. You know, making people aware of the signs, what to look for. There's national helplines that you can talk to people and also just showing understanding and empathy. It is not their fault.
0: That was Lucy, sharing her story of seeing her mum leave a relationship with domestic abuse and supporting a family member as an adult. Her point about how people talk about their exes will stick with me. Next, we listen to Chloe.
2: I'm Chloe and I'm 19 years old. Would you feel comfortable maybe starting us off with defining domestic violence? Yeah. So I define domestic violence as any kind of emotional or psychological or sexual or physical or financial abuse, including coercive control, which would normally be perpetrated by someone's boyfriend or girlfriend or sort of intimate partner. I'd say it would also cover like family members, regardless of the gender of the people in the relationship and regardless of the age of the people. I hadn't thought about how it would include family members before. It could be enough members of the family like a uh, person you're living with I don't know like a brother or sister or, aunt or uncle but it is most commonly used to refer to relationships
0: you mentioned coercive control I don't actually know. think I know what that is
2: coercive control is a pattern of behaviours designed to manipulate or control someone so it could be things like calling someone names making them feel bad about themselves criticising everything they do maybe telling your partner they can't go somewhere or shouldn't wear something or insisting on being told who they're talking to all the time. It won't necessarily be abuse that is one particular incident, but a gradual pattern of things that wears down someone's self-confidence and independence.
0: What were your experiences of domestic violence?
2: so I experienced domestic abuse from my ex-boyfriend who I met when I was nearly 14 we first met online and later on we met face to face as well and we were together for three years on and off and during that time he became very emotionally and psychologically abusive and manipulative and he'd go back to being very nice in between sort of accusing me of stuff like maybe that wasn't true and then screaming and getting angry and blaming me for him hurting himself and blaming me for ruining his life and then telling me me to hurt myself eventually he was convicted for harassment and given like a restraining order and wow so can you maybe describe
0: the uh, almost like a not a timeline of events but you know when did the the abuse start to happen how far into the relationship were you
2: I think the first signs were when, like, I'd known him about six months, and I'd been taken into hospital with an eating disorder with anorexia, and I was told I was going to be there a long time, and I wasn't allowed to have my phone or any internet access, and because I'd never met him face to face, I broke up with him, but he got really angry then, and started calling me names, and saying i completely ruined his life. And then after, he kind of, he went back to being really nice, and then going back and saying, you completely ruined my life, when you broke up with me, and he'd have this thing of saying that I'd changed into a bad person. It was always making me think that I was doing something wrong, when whatever I I tried to do however I sort of behaved he'd always find another thing to criticize me for things gradually got worse he started hurting himself and saying he was cutting himself because I was making him unhappy and then that went on to him saying he was going to kill himself and he'd call me up in the middle of the night saying he was on a building and going to jump off he wasn't he'd just be at home or something but he'd make me really scared and then he'd hang up and refuse to talk to me for ages so I'd sort of think he'd done something and then there'd be times when he'd be like screaming at me and calling me like a slut and a whore and telling me to hurt myself
0: Chloe everything that you're talking about you sound so um matter
2: of fact and it, it, it sounds horrible like what did that feel like at the time really distressing I think I felt completely responsible for how he was it was really isolating that I didn't talk to other people because I was so worried about what he was doing all the time I kind of stopped doing other things like stopped going to school stopped going out and doing stuff because I always wanted to be there if he was gonna call me or talk to me or sort of say something everything that you said sounds I can't
0: even fathom how distressing that is and I think some people who could be naive to the situation would question why would you stay in a relationship like that
2: I think when you're in the relationship it's really hard to say it gradually builds up one little thing happens and then maybe like he started hurting himself and I probably said oh I'll never stay with him if he starts saying he's going to kill himself and it's my fault but then when it comes to it it's just one more little thing and at the same time you always had reasons that it was my fault that I'd done something and that makes you feel like maybe if you act differently the next time it won't happen I think that is why people and why I I did sort of stay with him is that you feel like you're going to be able to make it better.
0: How did you realise that it was domestic abuse? Because domestic abuse sounds like such a, a loaded word.
2: It was kind of gradually. There was an incident where I was meant to meet him and then he sent me a load of text saying he knew I was having sex in the public toilets and stuff. He didn't believe me. He still said I was lying and then when we met he grabbed my hand in the middle of the street and was shouting and screaming at everyone to look at me and he called me names and he and his friends he said we're going to find me and stab me in the face. Not long after that I just lost it and called the police I was like that's it so I hadn't really even thought of it as domestic abuse at that point but that time the police didn't actually take it forward but they did say he's being abusive and that made me begin to think about that and I started looking up stuff online about domestic abuse and I think that helped so is that what prompted you to leave the relationship then when it got really violent in public It was a combination of things, so like that and then the fact that he was threatening me more and more and I was quite scared of him and he had started telling me to hurt myself and then I had started hurting myself. I was cutting myself to sort of copying what he had done. He was sort of always taunting me and telling me to do it worse and I wasn't going to school and so I was unable to do my GCSE exams and I think a whole load of things that kind of just made me realise that actually it had completely taken over my life. So what's happened to him now? So he was convicted of harassment and he got a suspended prison sentence for that so he wasn't actually in prison but since then I reported some other stuff about him and it took a long time to get police to investigate the other things but eventually he was convicted for something else and because he had a suspended prison sentence that meant that when he got convicted for something else he was actually sent to prison so at the moment he's in prison he got a 14 month prison sentence in September. What were your interactions with the police like? very mixed so the first police were good in telling me that it wasn't abusive but then they didn't actually manage to take it forward they didn't say he'd actually done anything illegal and then the second time I went to the police they really didn't want to take it forward they were like a lot of it's online you should just block his profile and I was like there's no way that's going to work you know he creates new profiles so he's finding a way to get in touch And but I argued that time and said actually look I can't take any more of this then eventually they did yeah you'd hope that there'd be a standard protocol behind things like that yeah especially like it can take so long for someone to go to the police about domestic abuse they need to have a good response the first time and like I was really lucky because my family were like encouraging me to take it forward but if someone doesn't have that then they might not see it through After you reported it to the police, what kind of support did you get? I had support from my family, so my mum knew quite a lot about what was going on. I also got support from victim support, who the police put me in touch with, and so I saw someone from there for a few months. As soon as he was convicted, I went straight into trying to campaign and raise awareness about it, which I think in its own way helped me, like being able to feel that I was doing something positive with the experience. Is there a demographic or a type of person that you would say is perhaps
0: most vulnerable to, abusive relationships
2: women are most likely to be the victims obviously it is something that can happen to men as well but it is much more likely to happen to women also it is often young women like age 16 to 24 that are statistically the most likely age group to be victims of domestic abuse and then there's loads of things that can make someone more vulnerable to it like if you're isolated if you don't have a lot of friends and stuff around you like i was in hospital and so i wasn't going to school when i first met him so that meant that he was the one person i talked to so it made our relationship a lot more intense i think if you've got any vulnerabilities like mental health problems or a disability or something that just means that you're going to be less confident then makes you more vulnerable to domestic abuse i had been like bullied by boys in school and he called me names and said similar things some of the things my ex-boyfriend said and then so when he started doing them i didn't think it was that much Of a big deal, but then at the same time, anyone can experience domestic abuse. There's nothing to say that it's only like this group of people or anything, absolutely anyone can experience it. You mentioned before that you went into hospital because you had anorexia.
0: You absolutely don't have to answer this question, but I was wondering did having a mental health issue and having a partner who was domestically abusive what was that like to go through did actually he help you get through the anorexia for example or at some points did he ever use it against
2: you I suppose kind of yes to both things yes he helped me and yes he also used it against me because when we first started talking online he was so nice I think he really helped me feel better about myself at a time that a lot of other things are really difficult he also seemed to sort of need me because I felt like I was helping him he'd say you're the only reason I've got to be alive that I definitely wouldn't thought this at the time but looking back I'd say that almost made me dependent on him that he was so nice because then afterwards I kind of wanted him to go back to being like that so I kind of stay hoping I'll be able to make our relationship go back to being like that but then yeah he did really use the anorexia against me before I went back to the police a second time he'd started calling me fat and telling me to lose weight he did really weird things like sent links to songs about called me fat like things to taunt me and he'd played weird mind games where like he'd host things on twitter about how he was going on a diet and he was starving himself and dare people to do the same and like it was all obvious it was aimed at me but like in a really roundabout way if that makes any sense. What's your relationship with the relationships now? Then, oh, I haven't had a relationship since I've kind of just thrown myself into all kinds of other stuff, really. But I think I'd be quite nervous to have a relationship now because I'd still be worried because that's like the only relationship I've had. It'd be quite hard to like know how I want to have a relationship. If that makes sense. Like that's kind of all I'm used to, so I'd kind of expect it to be like that. Yeah, it's interesting because you, you talk about the signs, and that's
0: something that our other guests have talked about also of a relationship that could be domestically abusive. But I guess what you're talking about there is. Not Knowing what the signs are of a healthy relationship, like what should you be looking for? That's really interesting. Yeah. I never thought about it that way before.
2: Yeah, that's something like that I could remember trying to like get healthy relationships taught about in schools because I think it's quite important for young people to know that, especially like before you start your first relationships. Like If you don't know what a healthy relationship should be like, then how are you going to avoid less healthy ones? So what kind of projects are you working on to do that in schools? I set up my own projects. I got funding set up project called speak out which aims to raise awareness of this kind of abuse when it happens in teenage relationships i work with lots of different organizations like i've done a lot of stuff with women's aid and help with some of their campaigns and i've done like training for mental health staff and staff working at brooke the young people's charity to educate them around what to look out for with young people and how to work with young people around this kind of thing All trying to get the message out there like about education around health relationships and how important it is to educate people like early on because you just don't think that domestic abuse is something that would happen when you're like 13 or 14 it's just not something you really think about It's amazing that
0: you have basically turned two amazingly intense experiences into really positive things that now you're working so hard to educate others about. And I can tell you that certainly by sharing your story, you will, you know, you'll be reaching the hearts of so many other people who hearing the story makes them realise that they're not the only one. And I think that's the thing about both domestic abuse and perhaps mental health is that you can feel like you're the only one
2: yeah i do hope it does help people to hear it what advice do you have for others who might be in a similar situation don't think it's your fault however much you want to try and help the person get better it's not something that you're doing you need to like look after yourself and also i'd say like talk to someone because if you talk to someone then they'll probably like help you realize that what's happening isn't okay like I didn't really think that he was doing anything that wrong I thought we were just arguing all the time and actually when someone else says wait "Wait." actually they're being really horrible to you they're controlling you that is abuse it makes you see things differently brilliant
0: I guess we've just got two final questions really so the first one is how how can people find services that will help them
2: looking online there's the women's aids website and for young people there's a website called lovedontfeelbad.co.uk which has a lot of stuff like explaining coercive control and things to young people and then there's the national domestic violence helpline which is run by women's aid and refuge the two sort of national domestic abuse charities so how can people find you, you know how can people maybe like contact you on twitter or just follow you and what you're doing my twitter is just chloe so it's just and then chloe chlo underscore x and also project speak out which is just p-r-o-j and then speak out that's the project one and then also speak out project.org which is the website i set up
0: wonderful that was chloe talking about domestic violence in her teens and how she campaigns against it now the fact that the abuser both supported her and made her mental health issues worse is a really powerful idea that might help us understand why people stay of course, not everyone is able to leave a relationship with domestic abuse. As Sisters Uncut rightfully point out, dead women can't vote. We'd like to take this opportunity to signpost you to the free phone, 24 hour National Domestic Violence Helpline, run in partnership between Women's Aid and Refuge, who you can call on 0808 2000 247. So, what did you make of our episode? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at kickinthekaryaki at gmail.org. Tweet us at Kick Or Facebook us through Kicking the Kairiarchy. Or visit our website at www.kickingthekairiarchy.org. And whatever the rest of your week brings, keep kicking the kairiarchy. You're still listening? You're super! Why not give us a ring on
3: iTunes? <laughs> <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well...